Hi, everybody. Welcome. Uh, good evening. My name is Scott Dwyer, Executive Director for Sons of the Revolution in the State of New York and its Francis Tavern Museum. Uh, welcome to another evening lecture here at 54 Pearl Street in Lower Manhattan. Uh, remember, uh, if you are joining virtually and you have any questions during the lecture, um, uh, 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 feel free uh, to put them in the Q&A box and we'll get to them at the end of the talk. Um, we'll be um, uh, monitoring that, so don't worry about um, uh, saving your questions to the end. Um, if you're joining us in person, uh, you'll be able to ask your questions at the end uh, at the lecture. Uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, and just remember the uh, views of the speaker are their own and do not necessarily uh, represent the views of Sons of the Revolution, the state of New York, or its Francis Tavern Museum. Our battery is dying. Technical issues. Just give me a second. Um, Give me a second, hold on, please. You know, I have a pretty big mouth. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> fortunately, like, uh, like, like my stomach is all crammed and yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give you this and Richard, if you need to uh, emote. Please do so. Um, I'll try to replace this soon. Uh, let me introduce tonight's speaker in my internal, external voice. Um, uh, Richard Melnick served in the United States Army from 1984 to 1992 uh, as an airborne infantryman in uh, uh, West Germany and is in seven U.S. states, achieving the rank of Staff Sergeant. Uh, he is a former president of the Greater Astoria Historical Society from 20, 2006 to 10. Uh, a trustee from 2003 to 18, and a licensed New York City tour guide, sightseeing guide from 2011 to 18. Uh, Richard, a night doormat in New York City, enjoys historic days and dates, lecturing and conducting fact-finding uh, recons and walking tours. Uh, he has a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from St. John's University. Please join me in welcoming Richard Melnick to the podium. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Um, when I was back there in seminary school, there was a person there who put forth the proposition. Oh, excuse me. These aren't the right notes. Excuse me. Does anybody know what that was a reference to? It was a, the opening of a Doors song called The Soft Parade. Okay. I'd like to thank uh, Ar Armini Wilkins, Scott Dwyer, and Christian Sabharwal. Uh, the three main people here that have helped me today. Uh, I've attended lectures at this in this very room about 15 times over the years. Very good. Um, I've attended uh, 15 lectures in this very room, acclaimed American and international historians, uh, authors and scholars have graced this lectern. It's not officially a podium, it's a lectern. Um, John Buchanan, Ray Raphael, uh, the late Thomas Fleming, Patrick O'Donnell, Christian McBurney, uh, David Griffin, Barnett Schechter. I'm honored to share this lectern with those, uh, and Mary Stockwell, with those esteemed historians and scholars. Um, certain days pop into my head. Um, I don't have much for November 14th, but November 16th, 1776, today, 247 years ago, was the fall of Fort Washington in Northern Manhattan. And lucky enough, that painting right there shows 
um, the fall of Fort Washington on November 16, 1776. Uh, 59 Americans were killed, 96 wounded, 34 cannon were lost, and over 2,800 Americans were taken prisoner. That essentially ended Patriot and Whig um, possession of any portion of Manhattan Island. So on this day, 247 years ago, the Continental Army was kicked off of Manhattan Island for seven years until the end of the revolution. Also, November 16th, 2016, my mom, Conchetta Cassio, passed away. Seven years ago today, I think she'd be proud. All right, here we go. Now, I had to do that. Um, for the historians that love to take it a step further, upcoming a month from today, December 16th, 2023 is the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. So you'll see that red hot in the news um, and going forward, 2023, 2024, we'll have all of these 250th anniversaries, the semi-quincentennial of all things 1773, four, five, and 2026 is the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. So keep an eye out for all of those events and try to um, perhaps put, a, put an event together with friends of yours to commemorate, especially the, the Declaration of Independence and why we're here. And 247 years later, we still have a workable form of Republican government that countries around the world are dying to have. And we, we sometimes we don't always respect and love what we have, but we need to get back to that. Um, my mission, my the, the book of Long Island, the mission of Long Island City in 1776, I wanted to share my research and knowledge of 1776 in the future Long Island City. And I wanted to instill a pride in place that witnessed important events in 1776 and beyond. Important people from America's past were in Long Island City before it was named Long Island City. Also, the book covers 11 square miles of LIC, the neighborhoods of Astoria, Steinway, Ravenswood, Dutch Kills, Queens Plaza, Sunnyside, Queens West, Hunters Point, and all along the East River from Newtown Creek to the East River to the Hell Gate and around to Bowery Bay, which is up near where LaGuardia Airport is now. And also, most importantly, I wanted to encourage and guide future students and scholars to take an interest in this to the next step. Um, when this book came out back in June, the Arcadia Publishing, the History Press, First books are usually 128 pages, about 40,000 words. Uh, since I had been in on six book projects with the Greater Astoria Historical Society, uh, we did books on Long Island City, the Queensboro Bridge, um, the East River itself. And uh, my name was on three of those six books, but I was never the lead author. So I stepped off their board in 2018 to write this book. And uh, even though I left some good friends behind, they didn't want to do the book with me. So after five and a half years, it's book in hand, and I'm quite happy about that. There we go. That's kind of a, a bland uh, opening graphic there. 
There we go. Let's see if I'm being outthought by the device here. All right. You must always be smarter than the machine you operate. Oh, should I should I do it from there then? No, you're all set. Okay, very good. Sweet. Okay, here we go. Um, this is a very good map of the Dutch land grants back in the 1630s, 40s, 50s, up until 16 up until 1664. Um, some of the names, this is all of the former, anything west of this line here is the former Long Island City. Um, Long Island City lasted from 1870 to 1898, and then it was absorbed into the borough of Queens, and Long Island City as a political and civic entity fell away, and it's only a district in the borough of Queens now. But some of the names still exist. The Riker family, Rikers Island up here, there's a big plot of land here. Um, William Hallett, I'll discuss further. Jacob Blackwell, uh, Roosevelt Island was formerly named Blackwell's Island. Um, Dominey's Hook down here, this is now Hunter's Point. These two islands, Berrien's and Leicester's, are landfilled to the mainland of Long Island in Queens County. So all of this is the Steinway Piano Factory is up here, and some of the other names still exist. Fisher's Point is where LaGuardia Airport is now. Bowery Bay was for the Dutch term Bowery, meaning farm. A lot of indigent Dutchmen and people that couldn't pay their bills were uh, sent to this farm to work on uh, planting crops to feed uh, New Netherland in on Manhattan Island, the uh, New Amsterdam and the greater New Netherland. A lot of the farms were up here. Um, Bowery Bay, which was a farmer's bay at that point. So this is a nice map of the area showing the land grants back then. Okay, this is a nice picture, um, circa 1880 by William R. Miller. This is the Lent Riker Smith House. This house is still up, it's extant. It still exists in East Elmhurst. It's about, I, I, I'll, I'll never have a washboard stomach. I'll never have a full head of hair. But God's always blessed me with the ability to throw a baseball and a football. So from that house, I can throw it across the Long Island City border, a baseball. So this is just out of my purview of study. But this house is still there. A wonderful lady named Marion Smith owns the house. And it's a great example of, uh, of restoring an old home with pride and done properly. The house has some issues on its own now. There's a roof leak, but the house goes back to 1729 and the interior goes back to 1654. So it's uh, still there. Whereas the powers that were in Long Island City, nothing else in Long Island City predates 1840. Um, some shoreline maybe and some wooded areas maybe, but this house still stands just in, in East Elmhurst. Um, it's it's a maybe 200 yards, 300 yards from uh, the Marine Air Terminal, which is the westernmost structure on at LaGuardia Airport. Let me see here, hold on. Okay. Very good. All right, this gives you an idea of um, what some of the people looked like back then. 
This was um, Joseph Hallett. Um, actually, no, this is John Alsop. This was, uh, he was from Queens. He had a house in Newtown. Queens was broken up in 1652. The town of Newtown was established, which is now Elmhurst. Um, in 1683, the province of New York created uh, the 12 count, a 12 county system. And a lot of the county names still exist. Kings County, Queens County, Richmond, which is Staten Island, New York County, which is Manhattan and the surrounding islands. Um, Nassau County didn't exist until 1899, and Bronx County didn't exist until 1912. Um, so this, this gentleman, John Alsop, was from uh, Queens. He, he was in the Continental Congress from 1774 to 1776, and he refused to sign the Declaration of Independence because he was hopeful of a reconciliation between the British crown and parliament and the colonies, which did not happen. So he was the only man to resign the Continental Congress because of um, his hope for reconciliation. And he even wrote a letter to, uh, to John Hancock in Philadelphia uh, announcing his resignation. And this was a good six weeks before the Battle of Long Island in Kings County. See, um, one other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, along with being a seasoned historian with the Greater Astoria Historical Society and a sightseeing guy, um, as as Mr. Dwyer had stated earlier, I was stationed in West Germany for three years in the army. I was in the state of Hessen, where the Hessians came from. I was on a post in Butzbach, Hessen, where. Um, Hessian troops and other troops from, from the German principalities, Waldeckers and Brunswickers, they trained in Hessen at a post that I was based on 210 years later. So in 1986, I was on a post where in 1776, German princes were training troops to send to these American shores to fight for British empire. So I think that gives me a, a feeling of... Um, like I've been there and they've been here. Also, um, I've kayaked on the East River about 40 times. I've had East River in my mouth, I'm not dead yet, but you may not wanna to get too close, okay? Um, and I've also kayaked through the Hell Gate at full ebb and full flood tides. And you get a real appreciation of the water when you're a speck upon it. And a big DEP, uh, um, um, garbage tanker goes by or some other large vessel. And if they're not, if you don't let your presence be known, you could be deceased. And you have to honor that that um, that tenant of all mariners, respect the sea. I joke around and say, I've always wanted to go to Portugal, but not face down. So, right. um, so as I'd said, so these, these items give me credibility to, I'm the guy who should write this book and, and, and here I am. Okay, let's progress. All right, this is this is Joseph Hallett. Um, I'll just go through some of these pictures quickly. Um, it, it's it's mentioned he's mentioned uh, well in the book. There's a Hallett's Cove and a Hallett's Point on the Astoria Peninsula in a, in Astoria, and um, there's also a Hallett's Cove 
development right on Hallett's Point. There's a Whitey Ford baseball field there. And then there are a bunch of high rises going up on the Astoria Peninsula. So the Hallett name, he had a home at where the Hallett's Cove playground is now. Now the Astoria houses are there. And um, his house was there. He raised his family there. They were buried in Astoria. And then they were later disinterred and reinterred in uh, Mount Olivet Cemetery in Maspeth. But the Hallett name still exists in a number of ways. Okay, this was on this wall here about five years ago. Some of my images have date stamps on them. This is the Grand Union flag. This is the first American flag. It wasn't sanctioned by the Continental Congress, but this flew with the troops in, in um, Lexington and Concord and at, um, at Bunker Hill and Breeds Hill in June of 1775. And there's a bit of a dichotomy where it has the, the, the stripes for the American colonies, but it has in the Canton, the British Union Jack. And that was, um, that was a hope for reconciliation because in the summer of 1775, right after the Battle of Bunker Hill um, was the Olive Branch petition sent by the Continental Congress to King George saying, if you give us a certain autonomy to run our own show, of course, we'll pay taxes to the British crown and parliament, but we, we want them to be fair. And King George III said, no, you're in, you're uh, insurrectionists. I will squash this rebellion. So this is the, the, um, the Grand Union flag, which was later replaced in mid-1777 by the Betsy Ross flag, which is has the the circle of thirteen stars on the blue Canton, and some people beg to differ. It's not officially called the Betsy Ross flag, but I'm using that as a a point of a comparison. So that's the Grand Union flag. This is a uh, King George the Third of uh, Great Britain. Up until when, whenever you read stories about the the English in the English took over. New Amsterdam from the Dutch, and they renamed it New York, 1664. And then it went back to the Dutch in 1673, and then it came back to back to the English in 1674. Um, it's New York. The um, what makes New York unique is that the Dutch were here before the British, and with the with the the New York was English from 1664 to 1707. Then uh, Scotland, Wales, and England joined to become Great Britain. So it wasn't in 1776, it wasn't the English who were coming, it was the British who were coming. And um, then in 1801, well after the revolution, um, Northern Ireland became part of Great Britain and, and it became the United Kingdom. So a lot of times you'll be reading a story, it's England, then Great Britain, then the United Kingdom. And it's very confusing depending on when the source was written. So that's that's to clear some confusion. Um, this is King George III. You can see the crown, his uh, crown of glory on the left and everything that the British brought here. You've got British officers on horseback. You've got British grenadiers ready to ruin your day. You've got encampments here. You've got the British ships of the line. Um, 
in June and July into August of 1776, the British the British massed 400 ships in Lower New York Bay, which is south of the Verrazano Narrows, and Upper New York Bay, which is New York Harbor. There were ships on both parts of uh, both sides of uh, of the Narrows at the time, and 400 ships. And one American patriot said, uh, "It looks as if all London is afloat." And the Americans knew that all your talk about revolution and we'll we'll kick their butts and you know, to, to heck with the king. Now it was on because there were about to be 20,000 British and Hessians coming your way to defeat your cause. What are you going to do? So all the, the days of talk were over and uh, the the British machine of empire, of war was was on its way and it was here. What are you going to do? Um, this is just a nice document from, I think it's... Uh, April of 1776, major players from Queens, uh, Manhattan, um, Kings County, John Jay, Philip Livingston signed the Declaration of Independence. He was from Kings County. In fact, when the, when the Americans had to evacuate Long Island after the Battle of Long Island, the disastrous defeat in August 27th, 1776, the decision to evacuate Long Island was made at the Philip Livingston House, which was on the Brooklyn Heights. I don't know the exact whereabouts. There may be a plaque for the house, but the plaque does not stand. Um, John Alsop. Now, one interesting thing is the lowercase s looks like a lowercase f. So you can see in the names like Brasher right here and Roosevelt and Alsop. That's an S, A-L-S-O-P. Um, John Alsop from Queens, Francis Lewis, the only signer from Queens County, um, Jacobus Van Zant, and as a Peter Van Zant, they had properties in Newtown, which is um, Western Queens was the town of Newtown. Queens was also broken up into uh, Jamaica, Flushing, Oyster Bay, and, uh, and Hempstead. Oyster Bay and Hempstead elected to become Nassau County with North Hempstead in 1899, but the other counties go back to 1683. So these, these are major players. You've got Beekman Street, Rutgers, Broome, Prince, all street names in Lower Manhattan, uh, descended from the Roosevelt family, Van Cortland, all these major players. Joseph Hallett, Francis Lewis, John Alsop from Queens. Uh, this is just a, a quick show of um, of some gravestones in at a the cemetery's long gone, but the property that it was built upon, the Marine Terrace houses in Astoria, um, all the houses are shaped like a capital letter H. All the the buildings, there's like ten of them, but this one building didn't complete. It looks like a a number four, and they did not build upon the cemetery here. And um, the we have no information whether the bodies were disinterred. So the bodies may in fact be in situ, meaning they're situated where they lay, no gravestones, but they did not build upon it. So that area is still there. It could be located, but the body, the, the names are long gone. Oh, we, we know the names, but there's no commemoration of this Rapoli Cemetery going way back. 
Um, now this is this is a, this is quite a great image. Um, on the back of a two dollar bill, this is listed as the Declaration of Independence, but that's incorrect. This is the June twenty eighth, seventeen seventy six, the Committee of Five presenting the Declaration of Independence to John Hancock sitting at the sitting at the table there. So you've got uh, John Adams, um, Roger Sherman from Connecticut, Adams from uh, Massachusetts, uh, Robert Livingston from New York, and you've got um, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin presenting the Declaration of Independence to the Continental Congress. It was approved a few days later on July 4th. New York, the, the, the final vote on that was 12 votes yay, um, zero votes nay and one abstention. That was New York. And in the movies, you see 1776 or even uh, John Adams that just came out in 2008 with Paul Giamatti. Um, New York was dragging its feet because they had no definitive word from their provincial Congress on how to vote in Pennsylvania. But five days after the, after the, the July 4th approval, um, the Declaration of Independence was read in the city commons by um, George Washington's officers to the Continental Army and to citizens. And after they got riled up from reading the Declaration, they adjourned to Bowling Green to tear down George III's statue. Um, and that was on, a, this was all, so by July 9th, New York said, the heck with it, we'll sign, we'll sign the document. So um, the, the Declaration of Independence had to be printed. It was read in Philadelphia on July 8th, read in New York City and in Queens on July 9th. It had to be printed and 56 of the signers, I think like 47 of them signed it on July 2nd. 1776, which isn't a readily available fact, but it's that's the fact of it, because the parchment had to be printed and prepared for signing. It was not signed on July 4th. No. Scott, can you give me like a 15-minute uh, warning before I'm supposed to stop? Okay, thank you. Um, now, this, this took place on the Hudson River. You can see the letters down here. The HMS Phoenix and the a HMS Phoenix, 44 guns. The HMS Rose of 20 guns. They, uh, they were attacked by an American fire ship here on the Hudson River. The reason I use this image in a book about Long Island City, and I put it in the book that this is not this does not take place on the East River. This is, in fact, the Hudson but there were no paintings of the Phoenix and the Rose on the East River, even though they were there a month after this. But I used this image to show the vessels on the water and that yes, these vessels would be in Long Island city waters in short time. Um, this is um, the honorables, uh, Sir William Howe, the leader of all British troops, um, all troops in North America. He brought war to the American colonies. Um, after the Battle of Long Island, which he was the, the, the victorious general, they gave him the honor of the bath. So this image is from 1777, but it just shows him in his uh, military gear. He was the leader of all forces in North America. His brother was Admiral Richard Howe, 
who led all naval forces coming to North America. So the brothers Howe brought war to these uh, these fine American shores. Now, um, at the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, the last weekend in August every year is a dynamite reenactment of uh, everything 1776. The, the Battle of Long Island. There are some militaristic events. Um, I got to fire a musket a few years ago. A gentleman from uh, the Huntington Militia let me fire a musket. Um, there was no musket ball fired downrange into Park Slope, but I was able to load it with 100 grams of powder, and it does give a mean kick to it. I was in the Army, but I'm, I'd rather have a beer with you than shoot you. But I've, I've not fired a weapon since 1992 when I got out of the Army, because that was never my scene. I grew up in Nassau County playing street hockey. I didn't have to go possum hunting. So some of the Southern boys and the country boys I were with, it was a way of life for them. But uh, I grew up playing street hockey. So when you're out in public, I joke around and say the next time you're on your unicycle juggling in Central Park, you're putting yourself out there in the public to be seen by the public. That's what these reenactors are doing. So you have no expectation of privacy. You can be put in any newspaper um, without permission. I had to find that out. In fact, a gentleman from the Greenwood Cemetery, uh, um, Jeff Richmond, he's the historian, he gave me a couple of websites to go to because uh, I'm a 63-year-old rookie when writing this book. Uh, I don't need to be sued. You know, I, I just don't have that power behind me in case someone were to be mad that I put their likeness in my book. But I have like 10 images of the reenactors. This is George Washington, a gentleman named Michael Grillo. He's at every event that requires George Washington. Um, this is a continental officer here with a sword, no musket. He may have a pistol, but that's his sword. And these four troops are just regular line troops of the Continental Army. This happens to be a woman here. And uh, these four troops, this gentleman's got a tricorner, a tricorn hat on. And this gentleman here is from the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, which was predominantly free Blacks and other people. There were some Native Americans and white people in that unit also. And the flag is right here on this wall here the 1st uh, Rhode Island Regiment. Uh, many free Blacks in there. In fact, this, these, these reenactors, they don't mess around. They, they're, they're very keen to what equipment they carry. They know all about it. They're very knowledgeable. If you give them the time of day, they'll give you an hour. They'll talk about everything they do. And this gentleman from the, uh, the 1st Rhode Island, he has a powder horn that keeps your gunpowder dry, keep your powder dry. Um, and he's also got a sheathed long knife there. And um, they all carry bayonets with their muskets. And they'd have a little backpack or a little waist pack with, uh, with, um, with gunpowder packages or cartridges and musket balls. And, uh, you know, it's a one-shot loading musket, a muzzle-loading musket, uh, a good shot can fire four in a minute. Um, and some of these guys at the, and ladies at the reenactments, they, uh, they really know their stuff. They, um, and they let me fire the musket, which was really cool. Um, these, are, these are British uh, reenactors. These are grenadiers. Um, they were firing, mock firing at the American troops. 
Um, the, the officer on horseback is giving them commands to fire. On these big hats here, they had bearskin caps that it said there was a crown on there. And to the right and left of the crown, there's a G and an R. That meant George Rex for King George. Uh, they were British grenadiers. They were a fast-moving light infantry unit. Uh, they can be upon you in, in minutes. So if you didn't elect to run away, you may have been captured because this was, these were the best of the best back then. These are the Hessians. Um, now, there's, there's a cool term. I don't get to use it that often. It's a synecdoche, not schenectady, but a synecdoche. I had to look this up. Um, it's a term that one term embraces all. So all the German, uh, all, all the troops from the German principalities rented out by their princes to America by the British were called Hessians, but some were from Waldeck, some were from Brunswick, some were from other parts of the of what became Germany a hundred years later. But back then in the 1770s, it was principalities and uh, city states and that type of thing. So these are the Hessians that came here. Um, I trained where they trained and they came and brought war to where I live now. All right, this is um, more reenactors. This is a female, a, a scout. Uh, this is a dragoon light infantry um these are probably the most feared the most feared weapon is probably the bayonet because if you're on the business end of a bayonet you're having a lousy day um this has the skull and crossbones you imagine 60 troops bearing down on infantry with a cavalry unit a light cavalry unit with swords and two muskets so if their sword they lose their sword somehow they, could, they still have the musket option. And then they can also fight once dismounted. But these guys are very highly trained. And except for this woman's head here and this photographer here, this would be an awesome photograph. And if you squint your eyes, it could take you back to 1776, except that there's the bottle of Poland Spring right there. So in, in the book, one of the captions is... Um, is although it was August, General Cornwallis had the wherewithal to rehydrate because it was it was super hot on that particular day because it's August in New York and they're wearing these heavy um, these heavy uniforms, these heavy woolen uniforms. Um, back in um, let me see, let me get this let me get this information here. This is a mural done by a gentleman named. Uh, um, Vincent Adorente, during the during the Depression in 1935, the Works Progress Administration hired painters, craftsmen, artisans, sculptors to do to do well in this case to do murals um, all around the country, and he was one of the great muralists. He also has a mural. This is was in the Quinn Funeral Home building in Queens. It closed in 2018. Um, where our historical society was. Now the historical society has since moved and the uh, mural is put in storage. But the, the a copy of the mural was three foot by five foot. The, the original mural going back to 1939 was 30 feet by 10 feet. And it was on the wall of a uh, Long Island City Savings Bank in Queens Plaza, which is the building is long gone. 
The mural is gone. We don't know where it went. Sometime around the year 2000, they converted the bank into a bar. Someone stole the mural. We don't know where it is. And I have friends in the historical society that 23 years later, we don't know who has it. Probably some construction company owner has it in his living room, not knowing the value of it. And this is only a portion of it. And this shows British grenadiers marching along the uh, Newtown countryside, looking for rebels. Okay, this is just a, a your basic Dutch stone house in, um, there were dozens, if not, if not scores, if not hundreds of these in the within the current five boroughs uh, back then, and this in up until say the 1880s when they when a lot of these buildings were torn down, and by 1930, all of them were down except for what is still around. There's a there's a Ridgewood the house in Ridgewood. There's a number of them in Brooklyn. A number of old houses in Manhattan that still stand. Uh, commemorating the revolutionary period but this just gives you an idea of uh, what what these structures look like and uh, the the level of disrepair that this one's in if you're propping up your side wall of your house with pieces of wood uh, you may have to move soon okay now this is the uh, Jacob Blackwell was a rebel from um, western Newtown, which is Western Queens. He had a house along the East River at, uh, on Vernon Boulevard in, in a story. And now there's a big, Alice, a big Alice Ravenswood power station there. And from Midtown Manhattan, or from the 50s and 60s, you can look across the East River and see the four smokestacks. This house, uh, the house stood from 1730 to, to 1901. And the door was put on the house in 1765. And in 1776, when the British confiscated the house, they put the arrow of confiscation on the door. They hacked it in with their swords, meaning what, dear rebel, your house now belongs to the king. And this house, uh, so they tore, the, the, they tore the, the house down in 1901 but a Tisdale family in Astoria, they rescued the door for about 50 years. They had a lumber yard and they kept the door at their shop. And then it was given to the Brooklyn Museum in 1951. And we don't know what, it, it was bounced around uh, on display at certain places. We don't know exactly where. And in 2007, myself and a colleague went to an offsite warehouse uh, part of the Brooklyn Museum, and they deacquisitioned the door to me. 200 pounds, eight feet tall. It's a Dutch door. It, it, the top opens and the bottom opens, independent or dependent of each of each other if they're latched together. Um, the reason was to let air into the house without the chickens and the dogs and cats getting into the house. So the double Dutch door. So we got the door back to Long Island City. Um, a hundred and or two, 230 some odd years later, it made it back to Queens. And at the warehouse offsite in Brooklyn, it was lying on its side, like five feet from a big puddle of water. So in terms of uh, historic acquisitions, this is probably my finest hour as a, as a receiving a deacquisitioned item, the Jacob Blackwell house. 
And this is a picture of the arrow of confiscation from 2015 when we were in possession of the door. It's right there. Um, it's a cool artifact. I'm glad to be a part of uh, rescuing it. Now, this is a, a Charles uh, Blazkowicz map. Um, it shows the Astoria Peninsula here, Hallett's Point, Hallett's Cove down here. And this is this is Horn's Hook, now Gracie Point. Gracie Mansion was built here in 1799, years, uh, you know, years, uh, 16 years after the Peace of Paris in 1783. In, in September of 1776, while the British were, were taking over Brooklyn and Kings County and Queens County, the British had four cannon battery here. The Americans had nine cannon here. And for about 10 days, they fired back and forth. The Americans, uh, I read in one book, the Americans killed two British here with one cannonball and one Brit artillerist lost an arm. So somewhere under the Astoria Houses complex may be a British artillerist's arm for those who want to go look for it. Um, so, so, but, but what it, what it did, it, it, because um, Brooklyn had the Battle of the Battle of Long Island, um, Manhattan had the Battle of the the invasion of Kipps Bay, the Battle of Harlem Heights, the Bronx had the Battle of uh, Pelham Bay and other skirmishes. Queens proper, we had no real battle, so to speak, but the artillery rounds from the Americans did kill two British soldiers and and uh, unarm one other on Queens County. So this was proof that the the Revolutionary War did hit in Queens. Um, not major events, but major troop movements and during the occupation in years to come, all the, all the major British players were here. Um, this is just another stat, this is a map. This is the William Fadden map, uh, quite interesting. It shows the... Uh, the British line, the, the British came from uh, Kings County and from Eastern Queens into subdue Newtown. So they drew, a, they had, this is in Bushwick, Queens. This is Newtown Creek. Uh, four of the five vessels that on September 15th that would bombard Kipps Bay at 34th Street were on the river here. And it also has the HMS Rose in the east channel of the East River. This is all Long Island City. Astoria Peninsula, Bowery Bay up here. You've got uh, um, Wards, Wards Island and Randall's Island, even though the names here are reversed. Buchanan was Wards and Montresor was Randall's. So that's a little switch there. Horns Hook over here. It's a, quite a fascinating map. I can get sucked in to, to maps and what, what enticed me about this was uh, I was essentially a jack of all trades. I, I could watch I could watch a documentary on World War One and then flip the channel and watch something on ancient Egypt. So about 10 years ago, I said, I need a specialty. And the specialty became the American Revolution because it was fought right here. Unlike the Civil War 90 years later, there were events here like the draft riots, but no combat took place here. So that's why I latched on to the American Revolution. All right, this is a replica ship built in 1971 of the HMS Rose. 
This is a 20 gun ship. Just to give you perspective, this is a man standing on the back of the ship here. So you can see a six foot man. You can imagine it had a complement of 160 sailors and this was only a 20 gun ship. There were other ships, the HMS Phoenix, the HMS Roebuck were 44 guns. The, the, the Carries Fort and the Orpheus, they were 32 guns. This was only 20, but this ship was rebuilt in 1971 in Nova Scotia. And it was also used in a couple of the Johnny Depp uh, Caribbean, what are the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies and in other uh, war um, um, seafaring movies that required a ship of sail. In fact, this ship, this boat still exists. I think it's in like Long Beach Harbor in California. Um, just to give you an idea of, uh, you know, so they they rebuilt this ship and it's uh, it's almost an exact match. Now, this is a, a cool map. Uh, this is a French map done anonymously. I haven't, I've been unable to find who created this map. Um, and it's a French map, it's anonymous, and I found a couple of different copies of it. This is Hallett's Point. This is the British firing at the Americans at Horn's Hook, which is now Gracie Point, Roosevelt Island. This is all of Queens. Um, these are British um, grenadier battalions on, if anyone's familiar with Astoria, there's a hilltop where St. John's Preparatory High School is, and these Hessian troops were were right on that hilltop there. And there's also advanced uh, units, pickets. There's pickets Ang Angwa, and there's pit pickets Hessians along the waterfront here. So there was a line back here at Steinway Street where troops didn't want to go forward of because of the British. The Americans still had artillery on. On Manhattan Island. So if you were a forward picket, I'm sure you would flinch anytime you'd hear a cannon fire because it could be your head, but you have to do what you're commanded to do. So the forward troops up until the, the conquest of Manhattan Island, any forward British or Hessian troops in Long Island City were within cannon fire range. Okay, this is just an old house. Uh, on the old third on the current 39th Avenue in Woodside, which becomes Sunnyside as part of Long Island City, but Woodside is its own entity as a township. And I like to say that there's a there's a boy here standing in the doorway for eternity. And at the Historical Society, the Greater Astoria Historical, we have a postcard with writing on it that says, family hasn't been in this house in 10 years. And the, the postcard was postmarked in Norwalk, Connecticut from here in 1908. So I can safely assume that around 1898, someone in the family told a friend that in circa 1888, the Gossman people had vacated this house. And by 1903, the house was down because they built the Sunnyside Rail Yards in Queens to serve Penn Station and to serve uh, um, trains going over the Hellgate Bridge, the points north and west. And that's another history in itself. But most of these houses in this area by 1903 were down, were gone. Okay, now this is a, 
this is interesting here. This is the, let me see, let me find it. This is the two houses were here in Old Astoria Village in 2016 and 2016 and 2017. These houses were torn down and now there's like a 12 story uh, multi-dwelling apartment building, which kind of kills the character of Old Astoria Village. Um, we tried to do something to save these houses. We couldn't. The owners sold them and they were bought out for probably more money than what the property was worth. But now there's a 30 family, 10 story multi-dwelling house here. Um, this house here was on a foundation going predating the American Revolution. These houses are long gone. And the tree in the background, a 50 foot tall tree, gone like it was never there. And people that are professional photographers, unlike myself, you frame a picture perfectly and it becomes an awesome shot. And over here, I got the Empire State Building. And now this, this view is totally obstructed. But I, I got lucky at the Empire State Building hanging tough at the very end of the building across the river in Queen, in, in Manhattan. So these houses are gone. That's what's happening in Long Island City and Astoria. Um, just another house, Dow Dittmars, at Dittmars Boulevard in Astoria is named after him. These are two old houses uh, where revolutionary activity took place. General Charles Cornwallis, Lieutenant General. Um, when William Howe stepped down um, in May of 1778, uh, General Henry Clinton became the commander in chief of all American forces in North America. And Charles Cornwallis was his second in command. Um, perhaps the best known British general because he ended up surrendering at Yorktown October 19th, 1781. Um, so he's famous for that defeat, but he also served the British armed forces ably before the American Revolution. And afterwards he was, uh, I think he was sent to India and was sent to India for a number of years. I think he may have died in India in the 1790s. But this is Cornwallis, the guy who surrendered Yorktown and 8,000 British and Hessian troops to George Washington with the Continental Army and the French to end all hostilities in the American Revolution. In 2019, I bought a 12 pound cannonball from the battle of, uh, of the, the siege and battle of Yorktown. And my girlfriend said, we have a rusty iron cannonball, why? Um, so I have it in like four Ziploc bags and a canvas bag in my garage archive. She doesn't want it in the house. Um, but you don't realize how dense it is until you have it in your hand. And it's a it's a really cool artifact. And a gentleman found it in a, in a mud bog in 1948. And then he sold it in 2019 to a dealer and I bought it from the dealer. So I'm like the third owner and there's paperwork to back it up. And uh, when I perish, I don't know who to bequeath the cannonball to. And my girlfriend's like, no one's going to want this thing. And I'm like, well, somebody will. Okay, this is um, September 15th of uh, 1776. The British and Hessians massed on Newtown Creek. The first wave came out on flatboats um, 
September 15, 1776. And you can see the, the British and Hessian troops and artillery on various flatboats. Five British warships are pounding Kipps Bay in Manhattan. This is the invasion of New York. They, they won the Battle of Long Island. They occupied all of Kings County, most of Queens County, the whole waterfront. They used Queens as a staging area to cross the river and to bring war to New York Island, York Island, where George Washington and his troops were. This is another map. Um, it shows uh, very Manhattan-centric. It just shows the British troops coming out of Newtown Creek and landing at Kipps Bay. It shows you what American units were at certain points. This is Horn's Hook, Turtle Bay, Kipps Bay. There's 15 maps in this book. You can take a good look and orient yourself. These are one of the prison ships. This is the, the, the HMS Jersey in Wallabout Bay in Brooklyn. This is a famous image. Most people that have one image to mention the prison ships use this image, but there are a number of different images. Uh, 11,000, approximately 11,500 American soldiers died on the prison ships in Wallabout Bay, more than died in combat activity throughout the whole war. Um, now, this is a nice house. This is uh, the Morell House in modern day, um, modern day Woodside, about maybe two or three houses away from the Sunnyside border. There was a gentleman named... Um, Eugene Armbruster, he took tens of thousands of photographs of Queens and Manhattan from the teens to the 20s to the 30s. So for like 20 full years, he archived almost every structure in Queens County. And he took a picture of this house. It's got the Hellgate Bridge back here and a Long Island Railroad train. And it's also got a housing development called the Matthew Model Flats back here. I lived in this house over here, like the fourth or fifth one for like 10 years, about 10 years ago. So the house I lived in is in this photograph, but nothing in this photograph is more awesome than the chickens on the front lawn right there. So it's a, this house was down around 1925 and the Long Island Railroad still exists behind it in a much built up, in a much more built up fashion. These are huts that were built into the grounds in Dutch Kills and in Sunnyside and parts of Woodside. Uh, the Hessians did it and the British did it. They dug, um, they dug residences or barracks into the ground to help, uh, I guess they saved on building material. If, you, if half your structure is under the ground, you don't have to support that structure. You can just put more wood on it and you can see how how detailed it is and upwards of a uh, 30 soldiers would stay in here. And when you're freezing your butt off in the winter time, you don't care if you're in a hut with 30 other troops, as long as you got a roof over your head and someone's tending to the fire. Um, this is um, Admiral Richard Howe. This was taken in the 1790s. He's much older here, but he, he and his brother, William Howe brought war to the American continent. Um, now we've got uh, two, two images to conclude. This is the, the surrender of the Hessians at Trenton. And I know it has nothing to do with Long Island City, but a number of the images in the book 
show major players at other places. Like I showed uh, William Howe, Henry Clinton, and uh, Lord Rawdon at the Battle of Bunker Hill because they were, a year later, they were bivouacking. They were, they were not bivouacking. They were, uh, they were billeting in houses in Long Island City. So people painted famously in, in these famous John Trumbull and other paintings did make it to my neck of the woods. That's why I mentioned them. Um, this is um, Colonel Rawl. He was shot by a, a sniper during the battle. Um, he would die like within a couple of days after this. Um, he was a little, a little foolhardy and not thinking that his, the, uh, the Trenton was like the southernmost or um, say westernmost um, um, barracks for the British troops in New Jersey. Because the next thing after Trenton is the, is the Delaware River and then Pennsylvania. So Colonel Rawl, who had spent a couple of weeks in Long Island City, he was he was mortally wounded. And uh, this is um, this is a Captain William Washington who was shot in the hands trying to take artillery. This is Nathaniel Green, General Nathaniel Green, and other American officers that fought valiantly to capture Trenton. And this here is a close-up of. Here's Colonel Rawl about to die, uh, other activity behind him. Um, this is a wounded Lieutenant um, James Monroe, 21 years old, a Lieutenant from the advanced force of Virginians that, that they took the, the crossroads of certain roads allowing the, the 2,400 Americans that came across when they crossed the Delaware they were telling them where to go and what positions to take before they invaded Trenton on that December 26th in the early morning. Um, so this is General James, this is Lieutenant James Monroe, who, if it wasn't for this gentleman here, this is um, Dr. John Berrien Riker. Like in the, in the first slide I showed, there was a Berrien's Island, and there's also the Riker family in my neck of the woods, Riker's Island, is the name is befouled because of the Rikers Island Jail, which is being so notorious, but the Riker name exists in the Rikers Island Channel and Rikers Island, and there's the Lent Riker Smith House. So Dr. John Berrien Riker, he had to flee Newtown in August of 1776. He went to Trenton. Uh, he had a cousin living there. He was living there with the cousin out of out of harm's way, and he sees the American army marching. So he said he thought he was he thought they were the British at first, and he said uh, once he realized they were Americans, he went in and he brought all the food from his home out, and he said, "I'm a doctor. I'm going to go with you because one of you one of you guys could need some help down the line." I'm paraphrasing, but the quotations in the book, and. Little did he know that after the Battle of Trenton, Lieutenant uh, James Monroe took a shot in the shoulder, which severed an artery. John Berry and Riker clamped that artery. They got him back to a house where he was able to recover. And 41 years later, he became the fifth president of the United States. So as a Queens, I've lived in Queens for almost 30 years now. He's buried at the light, the the in the Riker Cemetery at the Lent Riker Smith House in East Elmhurst. 
So he's essentially a, a local boy done good who saved a future American president on winning a battle at the end of 1776, which brought the Americans back in because everything up to that point was defeat and hardship and troops um, um, abandoning their enlistments or their enlistments uh, expired. So this this was a major battle. It took like 950 Hessian troops out of the battle equation by capturing them. So Dr. John Berry and Riker, a Queens County guy, saving a Virginian, the future fifth president of the United States. Um, I wanted to conclude with, here we go. I'm still a little old school with the folder here. Need to upgrade a little bit. And let me see. Okay, I was reviewed by the Journal of the American Revolution, which is an online journal of the best of the best. And they beat my book up a little bit. But I'm like I said, I'm a 63 year old rookie. There were a couple of repetitions I made in the book. I, I may have hammered points to death, but I wanted to get them across. And one gentleman remarked to the main, a five page review. And one gentleman remarked and said, uh, Queens was tangential to the uh, revolutionary experience. But I wasn't looking to change any scholarship. I just wanted to add to it. So a terse email is awaiting this gentleman. I, I, I haven't finished it just yet. But uh, he's some, he's some you know, highly skilled author elsewhere that doesn't know the area. And the reason I beat points to death was to this scholarship's not been done. So I'm hoping that all I can hope for is in a hundred years, someone says, I have the Melnick book or I have the Melnick chip and they'll say he did a good job and that's all I want. Thank you. All right, thank you, thank you. Okay. Uh, we do have some time for a little bit of Q&A, if anybody has any Um, and there was a uh, a general, I think Abraham Woodhull, who Nathaniel Woodhull, who led. He was um, he was a veteran of the French and Indian War. He was put in charge of the cattle drive to get all cattle out of Kings and Queens County to move them to the Hempstead Plains out east, so the British could not get them. Uh, Jeromeus Remsen was the colonel one of the colonels involved with helping him out, but he was transferred to a line troop um, before the Battle of Long Island. In fact, Jeromeus Remsen lived in the uh, Samuel Moore house, which is on the old, old Bowery Road in Northern Astoria. The house is long gone, but Jeromeus Remsen was from that famous Remsen family where the cemetery is. Um, and yes, uh, some of them were were on the cattle drive, but the cattle drive failed. 
And the British ended up getting a fair amount of that cattle to feed their troops once they occupied Queens and Kings. So the Remsen family is mentioned in the book, but um, as an aside, but Jeromus Remsen did own a house in my area of expertise uh, up until he had to flee. Yes. Okay, does it still stand? Okay, yeah. Okay, the, the Philip Livingston house, I guess they mentioned that. Yeah, because that was where, if you go to um, Fulton Ferry area in Brooklyn, the waterfront, just, just south of the Brooklyn Bridge, they have a promenade there that has a number of plaques for the evacuation of forces. And Washington got 9,000 troops off of Manhattan Island in a night. Uh, divine providence, perhaps, but um, ill winds, not allowing the British to come for, um, north up the East River, and fog. And after, after Washington was in the last boat, and they all retreated to fight another day. Okay. Okay. Well, if that was it, that was could that could have been that could have been the uh, Philip Livingston house. I'd have to check on that. Thank you. Anybody? Yes. Um, do you know anything about the Lawrence family? Sorry. Do you know anything about the? Uh, I'm doing a little research on the Lawrence family, specifically Jonathan. Like he was part of the Committee of Safety of Queens and everything. Yeah. And do you know what? So can you talk a little bit about the Lawrence family? I think they lived in New. They lived in Newtown, right? And like, yeah. There were a number of different Lawrence houses. Uh, two of which were occupied by General William Howe and uh, also um, General de Heister, Leopold de Heister. He was the command of all the Hessians in our area at that time. He stayed, there were three major Lawrence houses. One was where Steinway and 30th Avenue meet. And then one was down in the lower area where uh, in the Hallett's Cove area. And one was in the Southern portion of uh, Astoria Park all long gone but yeah they served they served very ably um a number of lawrence brothers i mentioned them in the book and also uh one lawrence brother was on the uh the uss confederacy which in like 1780 was captured by the british so not every not every family member had infantrymen going into the line battle some of them became uh became skilled uh, seamen also Couple questions from online. Oh, very good. To the online resident. Yes. Um, uh, if there were uh, troops garrisoned on Long Island for the whole duration of the war, who were they, and what did they do uh, during that time? Uh, did they do training out there on Long Island? Yes, in uh, in Queens, uh, mostly, and part of Kings County, New York City. New York was the base of British operations in North America. So even though they had bases up in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in the 13 colonies, after um, September 3rd or September 15th of 1776, when Lower Manhattan was conquered, and then November 16th of 1776, once the Americans were completely off of Manhattan Island, uh, New York County, Queens, Kings, 
and Richmond County and part of Westchester, which is now the Bronx, were completely occupied for seven years. And the troops trained here. They rotated in and out of combat. Uh, they came back here for R&R. &R. Some troops were able to, some officers were even able to go back to, to England uh, during the winter months when there was no campaigning. But I read one, um, there, was a, there was a gentleman named uh, Griffin who fought here, Griffith, I think, uh, who, who, who spoke here. He had said um, upwards of 36,000 British and Hessians were stationed in Queens County at one time to protect Manhattan from any invasion. And George Washington did have designs on reinvading Manhattan in 1779, 1780, but that never came to fruition. And they decided to take the battle south into the Carolinas and then finally into Virginia. So they were nev never able to unrest New York City from the British. In fact, the war ended in October of 1781. The evacuation of Manhattan didn't happen until November 25th, 1783. So two full years for the Brits to, to get out of here. So because this was this was their town until we retook it finally. There's the sons to be celebrating on Monday, November 20th, but we're not evacuating day There we go. Um, uh, another question from online, unless any other questions here. Um, uh, numerous loyalists, uh, petitions, declarations from Queens residents were published in the press. Uh, could you speak to any of those published works at all that were published in Queens? Yeah, there was, um, in, in August of, in August of 1776, prior to the British victory, um, on August 27th in, in the Battle of Long Island, um, there were there were proclamations put up by the British officers um, commanded by the king, saying if you wish to, you know, um, revisit your decision to be a rebel, you can come to us, sign an oath of loyalty to the king, and you will be treated kindly as a uh, as a member of the uh, the kingship uh, that the king is providing us of. Uh, of say uh, back into you'd be reabsorbed into the 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 goodness of the British Empire. Um, so John, Doctor John Berry and Riker was tearing down those proclamations. But in November of 1776, once all of New York Island was loyalist, was Tory, and with British and Hessian troops upon these local areas, um, they signed a, 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 over a thousand local residents signed the Declaration of Dependence, which I mentioned in the book of Lightly, but these were all the loyalists from Queens and Kings that, that never wanted to overthrow the British crown and overthrow the king. They were always loyalists. In fact, they were quite obsequious in their, their leanings toward the king. And, you know, every man is their own man, every woman's their own woman, but when there's when there's um, British, dragoon, British dragoons two miles down the road and you're a rebel, you have to make a decision. Do I flee now and get off of Long Island any way I can? Or do I raise a Union Jack and, and just be quiet about being a subjugated Whig and never mention it until they leave? And a lot of people knew that they could outlast the occupation because as we all know, in the history of warfare, 
occupations never really last that long. Sometimes they do, but in this case with the American Revolution, they they the loyalists who were treated poorly by the British officers, they knew that a better day was coming. But when the revolution, when the war was won by the Americans, they had to leave and they they predominantly went down to the Caribbean or up to Nova Scotia and New Brunswick in Canada with all the other defeated loyalists. So yes, um, they signed oaths to the British crown and uh, they did have to flee once the cause was won by the Americans. I'll ask you one more question. Yeah, the the Dove the Dove Tavern. In fact, there's a building on Third Avenue and 65th Street that has a plaque on it for Nathan Hale, and. There's a map in the book. I had to pay 400 bucks to use it um, from, from this, from the Francis Tavern. I know you have to pay money to use images. It's okay. My girlfriend wasn't pleased, but I had to do it. And on that map, it shows the Dove Tavern, and it says the approximate location where Nathan Hale was hanged. Uh, no trial. He was arrested on like September 21st and September 22nd. He's in the morning. He's He's, he's lynched. Two, two other points. Number one, uh, this is Nathan Hale's statue, which is in City Hall Park. That's correct. This is, very, this is our first statue that we did as of the, nice. the 1890s. And uh, Oh, yes, I do remember. He had a speaker room on Teledog, and uh, he said that Nathan Hale was uh, executed outside the Yale Club. <laughs> there is a plaque there. Okay. Yeah, there, there's conflicting reports on where he was captured and where he was executed. And some British officers wrote about it. Uh, in fact, John Montressor, who owned Montressor's Island, which is now Rosa, no, which is now Randall's Island, um, he was a cartographer. He was there supposedly when, when, um, Nathan Hale was hanged and he wrote of it. And people, various people wrote down exactly what he said. I've, I regret that I have but one life to live and there's variations upon that. So, uh, and in fact, in this museum here, there's a little, little section on Nathan Hale you may want to look at when we adjourn. Thank you, Richard. One more hand for Richard, please. I, I just wanted to say that I wanted to act out the invasion of Kipps Bay with expressive dance, but time doesn't allow for it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, so uh, again, thank you so much to Richard uh, for that wonderful presentation and thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, if you enjoyed tonight's lecture and would like to stay up to date on all of our programs, uh, you can join our mailing list by going to our website, francistowermuseum.org. 
uh, you'll find our calendar uh, uh, and all our upcoming programs, including the next two events, which I'm going to plug now. Uh, this Saturday and Sunday, uh, it's not too late, November 18th and 19th, uh, we have our George Washington's New York Walking Tour. Uh, licensed tour guide uh, Bruce Racond uh, will take you through the New York City that George Washington would have known from 1776 to 1790. Spots are still available. And on Sunday, December 3rd, we again uh, will have our George Washington's farewell reenactment in the long room. Uh, uh, we have reenactors portraying uh, George Washington, uh, Henry Knox, and Benjamin Talmadge. Um, reservations will be opening in the next couple of days, um, and we also take walk-in space permitting. Thank you to those who have donated to the museum. Your generous support helps us fulfill um, our mission to share the history of the American Revolutionary Era with the public. Uh, if you'd like to donate, uh, you can do so on our website, francistavermuseum.org. Once again, thank you to Richard and thank you all for joining us. Um, Richard will be available at the back of the room for book sales if any of you are interested. And if you're at home and would like Richard's book at a museum discount, uh, you're more than welcome to come into the museum uh, and buy one while supplies last. Thank you, everybody, and enjoy your night. Have a good night.